We'll try this microphone. It seems like it was misbehaving earlier. But uh, So that video said that uh, we get our religious fix on Sunday and then we sort of live how we want to during the week. We've, we've got it down to a science. And uh, it's been pretty challenging, this book that we're in, 1 Corinthians. In fact, to be honest, I had no idea it was going to be this challenging when, when I set off to uh, teach through it this summer. But we are in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, if you would turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Uh, so Paul is, is uh, writing to the Corinthian church. The church is about five years old, and they're in a city that is just, it's awful. Um, not a lot unlike our own culture, really. Uh, sexually charged, all sorts of sacrificing and, and all of that. And, uh, and we see and we know that if a guy wanted a good steak in Corinth, he would go to a restaurant next door to a, a temple because that's where the meat would be. See, not unlike the Jews when they would sacrifice, there was parts of the meat that would be cooked and fed to the people. They didn't want it to go to waste. So this meat that they offered to pagan gods would uh, also be offered to people. And there were questions among the Christians in that day. And they said, if a Christian eats meat offered to an idol, is he not participating in some way in the worship of that idol? That was a, an honest question that they had. And there was a group within the Corinthian church that said, yes, that's exactly what he's doing. If you eat meat that was offered to an idol, then you are in fact participating somehow in that idol worship. And as a consequence, such a Christian is giving a false testimony. He is clearly not really a Christian. He is really not saved by Jesus Christ, and he might easily be, be led back into the worship of an idol. Now, there was another group, and we've seen through Corinthians so far, if you're just joining us, that there were these divisions within the church. One group would, would take this stand, and one group would take this stand, and then they would just be disunified. They would argue about what was right and what wasn't. But, so there was another party that said, no, 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 this isn't true. There, there's nothing to an idol. It's just a piece of wood. It's just a, a piece of rock or clay. How can you worship something that honestly doesn't even exist? How can we deliver these pagans from their idolatrous ways if we act as though there is something to this? We have to pretend that this isn't real. Thus, it's not that big a deal to eat meat that has been sacrificed to idols. It's perfectly good, and it would be wrong not to use it. It would be wasteful. It would not be good stewardship. That's where this second group is coming from. And, and actually, honestly, in our culture today, we're not so... You might be thinking, well, really, Pastor Dave, sacrifices, we don't do that. We don't eat meat that's been sacrificed to idols, but we're not too far off in our culture, not as far as we might think. So there are some people that would argue whether it's right for a Christian to, re to repeat words or some sort of mantra or motto, for instance, um, like in a meditation that contains some sort of pagan word, a word that that can be tied to a pagan worship or, in some ways, a heathen. So what you are repeating is the name of a heathen god or some other word. Even though you do not understand what it means, in some ways you're going along with this in the worship of that god. Thus, some are going along with some of the ideas that are abroad today without realizing that they may even be somehow worshiping this thing. So 
you need to steer clear of, of all of that. On the other hand, there are Christians in our culture today, uh, and maybe this includes you, I don't know, who will not have a Christmas tree in their home because originally, way, way back in the day, it sort of got its idea in a pagan culture for pagan reasons. And they would say it doesn't matter what you assign to it today. What matters was what it was then. And there's this argument that can uh, come from that and this division. Easter eggs is another big thing. I mean, there's, uh, your, your mind has to be thinking of lots of things that are included in what I would call a gray area. Because there isn't anything in Scripture that says, thou shalt not have a Christmas tree. It's not there. It, nor is there anything that says that we should. So we have this gray area that we have to try and navigate and figure out where, where do I stand? Where are my convictions? What would God say? What, what would Jesus? What, what, what sort of ideas would Jesus have about this? And there's this strong debate centered around questionable practices. Uh, in other words, practices that some believers feel are wrong but are not specifically forbidden in Scripture. There are obvious behaviors that are specifically forbidden. We looked at some of them in the last couple weeks. Sexual immorality is one of those. Very clear, very descriptive, very specific. We know, and we can say with, with authority, that is sin. That's wrong. We should not do that. But um, there are other things that, that aren't. For instance, um, what about drinking alcohol? What about smoking? Card playing? Wearing makeup? Dancing? Sunday sports or even eating out on a Sunday? And this was a big one with my grandmother. You do not eat out on Sundays because when you do, there is a person working on that Sunday, on that Sabbath, and you are causing them to sin. I hated that. Because we never got to go to the, the Albin Cafe after church on Sundays. Until Grandma died. <laughs> I'm just being honest. And then we did. Because we thought differently. I, you know. So... Um, the hard thing is these issues can become divisive. They can divide us. And, and we, really have to be, we really have to be careful. And, and that's what Paul is, is talking about today. Um, there are things like stealing and murder and adultery and coveting. They're specifically covered, we can say, with authority. But I cannot say with authority that you should not go out and eat at a restaurant on a Sunday. Because it's, it's, it's a gray area. The Bible doesn't, doesn't speak to that. Um, we're also given many commands to do good, like loving and worshiping God, loving our neighbor, helping the poor. Those things are black and white, right and wrong. If we don't do those things, that's sin. The Bible is, is clear on these, and it's important that we stick to, that, that we are, that we're black and white on the things that the Bible is black and white on. And we apply the principles that the Bible gives us that Jesus taught as best we can in the things where we're just really not sure. And I think honest 
discussion and debate on those things are, is, is important. Because we want to come as close to um, Scripture and, and being obedient to Jesus as we can. There are many behaviors that are not commanded, commended, or forbidden in Scripture. So what do we do? Um, what, what do we do? Uh, first of all, I think the, the issue for us is how far does Christian freedom go in regard to behavior not specifically forbidden in Scripture? Uh, first of all, I want us to know this morning, and I want us to celebrate, and I want us to live in the freedom that comes in our relationship with Jesus Christ. We are free indeed. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man, I had a conversation with someone on the phone this morning, comes to the Father but by Jesus. He said, I'm not very religious. Um, I said, well, you know, Jesus really wasn't either. In fact, it was the religious people that, that confronted him every day that he had to, he had to stand up to. I said, the, the truth, sir, is that it's what do you do with the name of Jesus Christ? Where are you with Jesus Christ? Because all of those other things we can have conversations about, and, and we should. But ultimately, what do you do with Jesus Christ? John eight thirty one and 32 says to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Did Jesus teach it? Did Jesus say, this you ought or ought not do? Then that we obey, and where there is freedom in that. Truth sets us free. It sets so many Jews free who were living under the law, the weight of the law. And Jesus said, I've fulfilled it. The, the, the expectations have been met in me. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 17, Paul says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Galatians 5, 1, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. We have freedom in Christ in 1 Corinthians 8, 1 through 3. If you look there in your passage, Paul says, now about food sacrifice to idols. We know that we all possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know. I love that statement. But the man who loves God is known by God. Paul acknowledges that the Corinthians can eat this meat without worry for themselves. Um, uh, God lifted the, the restrictions on food. Peter got a vision. Paul got a vision. It was clear. And Paul, even himself, in verses 4, 5, and 6, says that idols are nothing. So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols, verse 4, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods, gods and many lords, little g, little l, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live, and there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. Amen. And in several other books of the Bible, we see, that free, we see freedom in what we can eat. And this concept 
among others, was especially hard for a Jew who had lived under the law and had restricted what they ate and when they ate it and what they did and when they did it for so, for hundreds of years. And all of a sudden, Jesus is here and says, it's different now. There's freedom in me. There's freedom in me. We experience incredible freedom in Christ, freedom from sin, freedom to experience eternal life, freedom from the encumbrances of the Old Testament law, freedom to love others. And there are a lot of things that we can do and eat and experience that are not specifically described, prescribed, or forbidden in Scripture. But we must also recognize that our freedom in Christ is not unbridled license to do whatever we want, whenever we want, because we know Jesus will forgive us. We must be careful not to justify something that we know is, is wrong or we have a feeling or it's a conviction of our own personal self with God that this is wrong for me, but I'm going to do it anyway because Jesus will forgive me. Our freedom, we have freedom with limits and we need to be thoughtful, prayerful, and intentional about them. And that's my challenge for us today as I finish this message in points two and three is that we are thoughtful, prayerful, and intentional about thinking about those behaviors and activities in which we personally participate in and where do those line up with scripture and what does the Bible have to say? And if it doesn't say something specific and authoritative, what are the principles and how does that apply to this behavior or this action or this thought that I have. First of all, in verses 1 and 2, we see the need to live our lives humbly before God and before others because Paul says, you have this knowledge, and, and we do. We have knowledge from Scripture. It's, it's divine knowledge that lots of other people don't have. And Paul says, don't use that arrogantly. Don't essentially throw that in other people's face. Don't be too smart for your own britches and thus unloving to other people that are around you. Uh, the man who thinks he knows something does not, net, does not yet know as he ought to know. I think maybe pride goeth before the fall comes from that, maybe. Uh, one of our main focuses in life must continue to be loving others, loving our neighbors as ourselves. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, Jesus said. And, and the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. He, he simplified it. It's those two things right there. Because even though there are times when eating meat sacrificed to idols is okay, which Paul just said, he goes on to say there are also times when it's just not, it's just not good. It's permissible, but it's not beneficial. He says that multiple times. Look at verse 7. But not everyone knows this. Paul's saying not everybody knows that, that it's okay to eat meat sacrificed to idols. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they see you eating it, they make the leap and assumption that you're worshiping that pagan god in some way, shape, or form. This is, a very, this is a very difficult position that some of our missionaries get put in. 
What is okay for me to practice knowing that this isn't a real thing, but also I need to, I need to be included in this group and I want to show them that I'm trustworthy and that I'm open to those things, but yet I don't, I don't want to let them know or I don't want to, I don't want them to think that this is okay. There's a word for that and I can't think of it right now. Now, contextualization, when you combine two things. Syncretism, thank you. We synchronize our faith and, and the truth of Scripture with something else, like animism or, or you know, uh, ancestor worship. Well, that's okay as long as you can do that and that, well, can you really? What does the Bible say? Freedom with limits. Um, so our decisions and actions do matter when it comes to what other people see in us. Here's an example that I always gave to the youth group students, and if you're a youth group student of mine in this room, some of you have four children, I might add. You may remember me telling this, but um, alcohol was a big question that youth group students would have because their friends were all drinking, and they would say, is it wrong? And I would say, number one, for you, yes, you're not 21. It's absolutely a sin for you. Number two, I completely and 100% believe that the Bible says it is a sin to get drunk. Very clear. Drunkenness is a sin. But it doesn't say anything else. And so my personal belief is that a glass of wine with a steak or a cold beer with a pizza is okay. But... And this is what I would tell the kids. Let's say I was standing down on Main Street. It's, Harv- it's the lingual 100-year, or 100, and, it was 100, right? 100-year celebration, and there's Pastor Dave on Main Street with a Bud Light in his hand for all to see. I think it's okay. You think it's okay. We know what Scripture says. We're clear on it. Drunkenness is wrong. I'm not going there. But we do have freedom and liberty in Christ. One is okay. What are all of the people out there walking by me on Main Street thinking? I would ask the students this. And some of their answers would be, oh wow, Pastor Dave's a hypocrite. Right? They don't even know what I think or believe. They've not asked me. They've they've not questioned me. They don't know what I really think about this. They just heap all of their, even if, even, if, even if they're at the bar every night, they would look at me and say, why is he doing that? So, applying what Paul says in the passage today, in that instance, in that situation, my conclusion has to be, that's not very beneficial. Um, I'm okay with it. But it just possibly destroyed my testimony and the impression that maybe 150 people have of me in one quick, non, well, I say non-sinful, but again, Paul says, he goes on to say, look, uh, right there, since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. Since, Since they don't understand and they're not there yet, they're not mature enough yet, 
Verse 8, but food does not bring us near to God. <laughs> Much to lots of Baptist misunderstanding, really. Um, food is a big deal to us, right? We, we love carrions. I love carrions. But, but Paul says that food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat also, and we're no better if we do. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. That there opens up a whole big discussion. And in that sense, I think the gray area may have gotten smaller, maybe not. So then Paul says, oh, oh, let's, let's say this, let's, let me add one other thing to the, to the drinking of alcohol. Let's say you have a family member who struggles with alcoholism. Would you be so arrogant and prideful to drink in front of them and open up that temptation to them? No, you would say, there's no way. I, if they were coming over, you know, the house would be dry. Nothing. So that they wouldn't be tempted. I think, I think Paul, what Paul is saying here applies to that as well. For if anyone with a weak conscience, verse 10, Paul goes on, sees you who have this knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't he be emboldened to eat what has been sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge because he thinks then he, it's okay to worship a pagan by partic- part- participating in this. Which isn't, of course. And Paul says at this point, it is in fact sin. When you sin, verse 12, against your brother in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. What we do, how we behave is important. Even if Scripture does not forbid it, we must be careful and conscious of how our actions are perceived by others. We see Paul's conclusion there in verse 13. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause him to fall. Paul says, if it's that big a deal to him, I'm not even going to eat meat at all. Forget the meat sacrificed to idols. I'm just going to stay away. From it. it's, Paul says, it's that important. So after considering the consequences of my actions and decisions, Paul says, if it would in fact cause my brother to fall into sin, I just won't eat meat anymore. And, and we, my challenge to us is to evaluate our actions and behaviors, to, to, to pray that dangerous prayer, search my heart, O God, and see if there be any wicked way, even if I'm not sure it's wicked and your scripture's not totally clear, am I in some way causing another to stumble and, 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 and help and ask the Holy Spirit to convict your heart with that and make a decision on that and then go forward with your life? You can ask others. We can have conversations about this, but, but one person might say this is okay and another person might say, oh, no, it's not. And honestly, in these gray areas, I think we need to debate, but we will have to agree to disagree. You know, too often in our freedom, we disregard the effects on other people's lives. 
So here are some ways to think about our actions so that we can make decisions on a daily basis when it comes. And this is a quick list. I know those guys are back there going, oh, we're right, we're right, we're right. You're not. And it's a checklist from John MacArthur, and for lack of a better term, I called it the behavior checklist. I mean, I couldn't come up with anything. But it's just, these are just some words I want you to think about as you are praying through your life. God, what, are there some things in my life that shouldn't be? There, that, that I think they're white and you would actually help me understand that they're black. The first is excess. Write that word excess. This is the, is the activity or habit necessary or is it merely an extra that really isn't that important? It's something that I could take or leave. And if, the, if it's going to cause a problem for somebody, I should just leave it. Hebrews 12.1 says, Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. The second word is expediency. 1 Corinthians 6.12, Paul said, All things are lawful for me, Paul says, but not all things are profitable. Is what I want to do helpful and useful or is it just desirable? Let's ask ourselves that question. Emulation, 1 John 2.6, Whoever claims, Jesus said, Whoever claims to live in him must live as... Jesus didn't say this, John said this. Whoever claims to live in him, in Jesus, must live as Jesus did. If we're going to do what Christ would do, our actions, our, uh, our action not only is permissible, but it's good and right. If Jesus said, do this, do it. An example, are we setting the right example for others, especially for our weaker brothers and sisters, or those who are not yet in Christ? 1 Timothy 4.12 would be, the passage for that one. Evangelism. Is my testimony going to be helped or hindered? I mean, I would be just as... I, why not drink a Gatorade? Which I did. Nobody looked at me funny when I did that at the 100-year celebration. Will unbelievers be drawn to Christ or turned away from Him by what I am doing? Will it help me conduct myself, as Colossians 4, 5 says, to be wise in the way that I act towards outsiders, making the most of every opportunity? Edification, will I be built up and matured in Christ? Will I become spiritually stronger? 1 Corinthians 10, 23, in a couple, in a couple chapters, I have the right to do anything, Paul says, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. And finally, exaltation. Will the Lord be lifted up and glorified in what, by me doing this? I mean, I, I think of even some of the things that I do and say and think, and I, it's pretty challenging. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God, 1 Corinthians 10.31 says. God's glory and exaltation should be the supreme purpose behind all the things that we do. And I hope and pray that you have been as challenged this morning as I have. Because I don't want to be the only one. Let's honestly approach the Spirit. Caleb, come on up here and finish. Uh, let's honestly approach the Spirit and be challenged by Paul's words this morning not in regards to meat sacrificed to idols, but in regards to all of the other things that we do and, 
and let's allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us in light of how we live our lives so that the good news of Jesus Christ could be glorified and proclaimed, not avoided by those that we know.